Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Alting Strength and Wellness Podcast. This is just an episode with me on it once again. I actually just realized I didn't put up a podcast already on performance testing, so till I do a podcast on performance testing. Now before I get into performance testing, I probably should have done other podcasts before this covering things like nutrition, supplementation, circadian rhythms, uh, lifestyle, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being, and uh, also getting into uh, looking at movement quality through things like you know using the functional movement screen for your pain-free people and select the functional movement assessment for people that do with pain. Now I have a lot of videos to shot recently uh, covering all those topics that I'll put up on the YouTube channel and up on my Facebook and all that. So I'll probably end up doing both podcasts as well as the video series I've just done on all those topics. They're pretty in-depth. They're, you know, some of them are seven or eight videos long and they're just under 10 minutes each. I keep them under 10 minutes max because the memory card of the HD fills up, so they have to be below 10 minutes. But I just noticed looking through the podcast, I hadn't done one yet in performance testing. And probably, as I said, uh, as I said, I probably should do one with, with, with uh, covering... I probably should do uh, one covering nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle, circadian rhythms, and mental, emotional, spiritual health first. Now, I suppose I did cover them topics already in a previous podcast. I'll actually just quickly hit onto the internet for one second and see what episode that was that I covered that. As always, Gre- Gregory Bradley B. slagging me right now for being so prepared. I literally just hit record here and just put it on. Uh, yeah, episode 36, my take on the essentials for a happy, healthy, and fulfilled life. And... I did cover things like, you know, nutrition, circadian rhythms. I covered nutrition, you know, and it says here, I covered, I actually covered fetal development, preconception health, nutrition, circadian rhythms, environmental toxins, mental, emotional, spiritual health, and exercise. But anyway, with regards to performance testing, I'll stick up these show notes that I'm talking off here. These are actually from my, uh, my um, ultra performance mentorship um, four-day course, and uh, these are the performance testing uh, slides that I'm reading off here, but... You'll see once again the 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 athletic development hierarchy is the second slide here in these show notes. Again, at the foundation we have nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle, circadian rhythms, mental, emotional, spiritual health. On top of that, then movement quality. Then we have work capacity, body composition, optimization, hypertrophy, maximum strength development, explosive strength development, elastic reaction strength development. Then finally, linear speed development and multi-directional speed development. So the key thing before we get into performance testing is that you need to have looked at or at least. Uh, had you know a- analyzed to a certain degree, and I just want to have a look at something here. Yeah, essentially, you know, you should have. I actually have a slide in in this PowerPoint saying first things first, and nutritional and lifestyle analysis and movement quality uh, screen should be the first thing done before any performance testing. So just I want to make that point before I even get into this podcast and performance testing. So the first things you really should be looking at are someone's nutrition, someone's supplementation, someone's overall lifestyle habits, someone's circadian rhythms, and then eventually their mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And I've spoken about this ex- extensively in the video series that I've just done, which I'll be releasing, and in the podcast, um, in episode uh, 36. You know, so how could you look at nutrition supplementation uh, and lifestyle habits and circadian rhythms? Well, you could look at biochemical factors. So and how would you look at biochemical factors? Honestly, functional lab testing. If that's available to you, I, it's available to me. I'm licensed to do that. Um, so they would be your objective measures. You know, you could run things like uh, a adrenal stress in the, an adrenal stress profile, profile, looking at you know your cortisol output throughout the day, your cortisol THA ratio. That'll also give you an indication of someone's circadian cycle. And when you look at someone's circadian, or when you look at someone's cortisol output, that will give you an indication of their circadian rhythms. You can also look at their steroid hormone balance too. Uh, you can look at things like liver function, liver toxicity, oxidative stress, protein metabolism, leaky gut, the immune system. Uh, parasite fungal yeast infections, you know, uh, a blood chemistry. Lots of those things are going to give you indications of 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 how um, healthy someone's biochemistry is. Um, and the biggest factors with regards to our biochemistry, our hormonal regulation, hormonal regulation, and our genetic expression are things like our nutrition, our supplementation, lifestyle, circadian rhythms, and obviously our mental, emotional, and spiritual health, and our thoughts on a daily basis. Now, mental, emotional, spiritual health—I've said this in a few other podcasts and a few other places, and extensively on the video series I did on a mental, emotional, spiritual health—is that I believe that a vast majority or, or a lot of mental health issues, mental, emotional, spiritual health issues, have biochemical factors at their root cause. So what are the, again, what are the biggest things that impact the biochemistry of our body? Our nutrition, our supplementation, uh, lifestyle habits, absolutely our circadian rhythms do. 
so I believe that you know a lot of mental mental emotional uh, health issues, a lot of mental emotional instability, come from things that really uh, influence our biochemical health. And actually, what I'm going to do right now is just pick up just another little thing here, just to reiterate or kind of bring home that point. So just I press pause there because I had to pick up this other other PowerPoint of mine. So I was talking about. Um, Biochemical factors that that can be the root cause of a lot of mental and emotional and spiritual health problems, or a lot of mental and emotional instability. So, for instance, again, if if your nutrition and supplementation are off, so if you have the incorrect nutritional and supplementation requirements for your specific biochemistry, that's a huge factor on your mental and emotional health. If your circadian rhythms are off, circadian rhythms, you know control your hormonal regulation your neurotransmitter regulation your immune system regulation and your blood sugar regulation blood sugar regulation is huge with mental emotional and spiritual health and huge with mental emotional stability so many people who have mental emotional instability just have horrendous blood sugar management environmental toxicities personal relationships exercise like you know exercise is a massive uh, thing on on the biochemistry of our body you know and so, for instance, the, the following things I'm going to name are things that can, can be a root cause or, a, 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 at the very least, a contributing factor to mental, emotional, and spiritual health issues. If you have a leaky gut, if you have food sensitivities and intolerance, if you have hypoglycemia, protein metabolism dysfunction, which can lead to neurotransmitter balance dysfunction. You need those neurotransmitters for your brain to work properly. Essential fatty acid, balanced, or essential fatty acid deficiencies. Heavy metal toxicity, severe nutritional deficiencies, both micro and macronutrient type deficiencies, and complete just hormonal dysregulation, okay? Listen, at the end of the day, I've said this so many times and I'll keep saying it, the environment is what dictates our genetic expression. And the biggest environmental factors or the biggest environmental influences on our genetic expression are our nutrition, our supplementation, our circadian rhythms, environmental toxicity our, our mental emotional and spiritual health and exercise now regards to mental emotional spiritual health factors that really have a huge part to play with our mental emotional spiritual health are nutrition and supplementation circadian rhythms environmental toxicity our relationships with people exercise and i will throw into that developmental conditioning that definitely is a huge factor now and i always make this this preface too when i get into this discussion on biochemical factors behind mental emotional spiritual health do i believe that biochemical factors are the root cause for every single mental emotional or spiritual health issue or mental and emotional um health or instability issue no do i believe that they are con a contributing factor do i believe that biochemical issues are contributing factors to all mental and emotional health issues yes i do but I don't believe that they are the root cause to every single mental health issue. There's definitely other factors like developmental conditioning and other factors that have happened throughout people's lives, and particularly in those early developmental years of their lives. But they're definitely a contributing factor. So these biochemical issues are definitely a contributing factor, and for a lot of mental health issues are the, the, the root cause um, or the main contributing factor to these mental and emotional health issues. So it's very important, anyway, before we get into performance testing, I've gone off track here, but before you do performance testing, this is why the athletic development hierarchy, this is why I, I adapted it and developed it, and I adapted it from Al Vermeil, so Al also gets credit on it, but I just, Al's hierarchy starts at work capacity, I added in two more foundational uh, layers or structures to the hierarchy, and I put some other ones in there as well, like body composition, and kind of emphasize hypertrophy a little more as well, maybe on it. But uh, I put movement quality before the work capacity, and then before movement quality, I put in nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle, skinny rhythms, and mental emotional spiritual health that stuff needs to be in place <clears throat> and how to objectively really look at all of those things is through things like functional lab testing now subjectively just questionnaires you know food logs uh, you know old health records now health records can both be subjective and objective because objective they could be old tests run by the doctors and then subjective it could have just had like you know subjective symptoms that the patient had but basic subjective things are things just like your you know food logs lifestyle habit questionnaires etc okay uh, movement quality obviously then is the functional movement screen uh, that'll probably be a podcast to do as well I've done an extensive video series on that as well just answering some of the questions on that I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast I did with Greg Cook on that as well audio was a bit dodgy on that but it was good for the most part so anyway for the rest of this athletic development hierarchy things like work capacity body composition hyper, hyper, hypertrophy or hypertrophy some people say maximum strength development 
explosive strength, elastic reaction strength, and multi and a linear and multi-directional speed. That these are so with those qualities and biomotor qualities, they are uh, they are basically the areas that we want to have some sort of objective measure or marker for. That's what we're going to talk about in this podcast. So, in regards to those first two foundational layers or foundational um, structures on the innate development hierarchy that cover once again nutrition, supplementation, lifestyle, circadian rhythms, mental, emotional, spiritual health, and then on top of that, movement quality. Uh, the objective um, measures for those will be functional lab testing for that foundation there, and then for fun- for movement quality, the FMS. Um, <laughs> if, if Jonathan Fast hears this, he'll be like, he'll be giving me loads. I know Jonathan doesn't love the FMS. <laughs> You know, John doesn't even know who I am. But anyway, uh, okay, so we're go- we're starting with work capacity on the way up. First of all, anyway, um, the order of the tests, I suppose, is, is pretty good. Actually, in the show notes, too, I have a lovely table here. Well, I think it's a nice table. And essentially, on the left-hand side, it's biomotor qualities and other qualities. And so it starts off with, like, hormones, biochemistry, uh, nutrition and lifestyle analysis. And then on the right-hand side, it says the screen, test, or assessment to look at it. So for that, I have functional lab testing questionnaires, health history records, heart rate variability, and food logs. So they're, they're, they're both objective and subjective measures put in that. Body composition, then I have caliper testing, movement quality, the functional movement screen, work capacity. We'll be getting into that. I like to use the yo-yo intermittent recovery test. I like to use level two, rest and heart rate, and a one-minute heart rate recovery after the test. Uh, maximum strength, 1RM testing, starting strength, non-counter-movement jumps, explosive strength, counter-movement jumps, Olympic lift variations, Olympic lift variations being a, a speed strength, oh, sorry, a strength, sorry, excuse me, Olympic lift being a strength speed indicator of explosive strength capabilities, and then counter-movement jumps will be a speed strength and indicator of um, explosive strength. So make sure I said that right now. So Olympic lifts will be a strength speed indicator of explosive strength, and things like counter movement drones will be a speed strength indicator of explosive strength. Just make sure I said that right. Uh, elastic reactive strength, things like you know a, a four jump test and the just jump, or depth drop into vertical jumps, is uh, you know looking at um, the relative strength index type things. Linear speed then a forty meter linear linear speed test, and then uh, multi directional speed of five ten five. Now multi directional speed, you can make this argument of doing a planned multi directional speed test and reactive one to look at you know kind of more reactive agility or reactive multi-directional speed in comparison to multi-directional speed but I'm going to tell you about the tests that I do maybe give you some norms and some of it now and uh, yeah that's pretty much it so start with work capacity uh, what I like to use for work capacity as I said is a yo-yo intermittent recovery test um, actually first thing I'll actually go through the testing order first sorry I'll do that first before so after I, I, I've done you know again the, the nutritional um, and lifestyle analysis uh, and I've also done movement quality, I'll then look at their body composition. So this is the order we're going. We'll look at body fat, then we'll go out, do some type of warm-up so, and a, a systemized warm-up so that I can repeat it again. I'll, I'll go, go in then to my linear speed test. Now for linear speed, I'll only do linear speed if, I, if it has the following. It's indoor and I have a timing system. Other than that, I wouldn't do it. It's an absolute waste of time. It's just, it's, it's too liable to human error. Don't use the stopwatch, do not do it outside. It's no use. I mean, I've made that mistake. I've tried it before. It's it's just, it's just not reliable enough. Same thing with multi-directional speed. I'll use the five ten five test from the combine. That will come after linear speed test, and then um, uh, yeah, five ten five test again. I want it indoor, and I want it to be timed. Ideally, I like an indoor all-weather venue where the players can actually wear their boots or, as the Americans say, cleats. Uh, after that, then we'll go into our, our jump profile, so we'll look at non-counter jump counter jump and and then some type of elastic jump to look at or some type of four jump test or depth depth drop into vertical jump for elastic strength um so i'm I'm only just quickly going over the order here and then i'll get more into the specifics after that then we'll go into if you want to do an olympic lift variation i type it in after the, the the jump profile and before the max strength lift so then if you're going to do an olympic lift variation like a power clean power snatch i put it in there then i go into my strength lifts then I'd, and then finish off my work capacity. Now, if I have a beginner, they will not they will not do any Olympic lifting, obviously, and they will not do any one uh, RM testing. Uh, the only thing the beginner the beginner actually would do everything else except any Olympic lifting and any max strength lifting. What they may do is maybe maybe an, a strength endurance test. You know, if you have a sports manager who's like, I want some tangible data on Tommy there or Johnny or whatever, and you're like, okay. Now, in saying that. You know, you see a lot of coaches doing push-up tests and chin-up tests and vertebral tests. If I have a guy who flunked trunk stability push-up in the FMS, he's not doing a push-up test. You can't even do one. 
so he's not doing that. He may do like a chin up, you know, arm wrap, you know, as many reps as he can, or vertebra, something like that. But yeah, he won't be doing any max strength testing. He won't be doing any explosive stuff. But with regards to like the linear speed, the multi-directional body fat, the linear speed, multi-directional speed, the jump profile, and like then the yo-yo test at the end, he can definitely do that and probably do a chin up test at the very, very least, if not a push up test and a vertebra row test. Um, so as I said, let's start on. Um, what order do I have? Actually, I have it in the order of the, the that I've done it. Okay, so we'll start with that. So actually, I'll, I'll go from body fat. I'll, I'll, I'll go in the order that I uh, that it's here in the slides and that I just named there. So body fat percentage, you know, what do you want to use? It's up to yourself. Three side, four side, seven side. Look, the thing with body fat is if I take someone's body fat and you take it, it's going to be different. So it's just to make sure that you are consistent at doing it. And I have to say, I know personally myself, I'm really consistent at body fats. So if I take, if I was taking your body fat today and I took it tomorrow, I'd be the, almost the exact same. I'm fairly accurate doing my own way. But again, it's going to be very different from one person to the other. Uh, so you can use, as I said, you can use a three side, four side, seven side. You could use Charles Poliquin's biosignature if you, if that's you know if that's something you want to use. Just as long as it's reliable and valid and re valid and reproducible, you'll be fine. Okay. Make sure you use the same side of the body. Record weight and height also, and ideally the same time of day is the best. Morning usually is best. Most people, if you can get people in, fasted even. The thing is, obviously, you don't want to bring them in fast and then start doing a lot of testing with them either. So, you know, but still, morning is probably the better time to do body fat testing. Unless you want to do body, I usually do body fat testing on a separate day to perform testing. I would do body fat testing, weight, height, and an FMS one day, and then all the other days performance testing. So, I, you know, technically, you could do it that day if you want. I obviously would not be telling people to come in fast to do their body fat and then do all these performance tests for about an hour, you know, because their blood sugar is going to start crashing more than likely. But anyway, for the most part, just make sure you you know pick which one you're comfortable with. Whether it's three, four, seven slide or Charles Poliquin, you use the same same sites all the time. Ideally, that's the same size of, of the body. So for me, I use the seven site and I use the right side of the body nearly all the time, unless someone has an issue with some part of their body that they can't do the right side. But it's nearly always the right side with everyone. Uh, some norms then for body fat percentage with me. Now, for my population, I mainly work with GA players. Um, so you know the body fat levels in GA players vary quite a bit but uh, these are the norms I have 15% is excellent no I'm only joking if you're over 15% body fat these are for males now if you're over 15% body fat uh, you're carrying too much body fat for a male if you're between 13 and 15% that's fair you know it's, it's okay average would be you know 10 to 12 if you're at 10 to 12 I'm happy enough 8 to 10 is 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 good and then anything below 8% is like excellent that's when you start hitting like you know people just have savage genetics with regards to their body composition and or else they're a, a physique athlete nearly you know when you start hitting eight percent below that's more like bodybuilding type percentage but really anywhere between that eight and twelve percent is is pretty good for for most ga players uh for females i would say anything over 25 percent is is a bit too much average would be like 24 to 21 20 uh good would be 17 to 20 and then very very good would be 12 to 16 now below 12% you need to be careful females because then they can start hitting amenorrhea, they start missing their menstrual cycles because their body fat becomes too low and generally females carry more body fat, <coughs> but not generally, yeah generally, females do carry more body fat than males, they just do, you know, it's just to do with being able to have birth and, and have a child and if they were pregnant and, <coughs> and it was lean times that came along that they would have some source of fat and energy to, to, you know, to help themselves get through the famine as well as their baby. So females always carry more body fat than males. So you need to be careful though going below a certain percentage of body fat females because if the if, if if the body's like holy shit there isn't much fat body fat here, no way we get pregnant, menstruation will stop. Uh, then after that body composition, so again I said we might do body composition FMS on one day and then we might come back the next day, do a warm up and then get into the linear speed, multi-directional speed will be the first two tests then. So with linear speed, I've changed my thought process in this. I used to be this kind of, you know, there's no need to do absolute speed work. There's no need to look at, at any sort of absolute speed testing and, and do any absolute speed work with, with field and course, field and, field and um, not so much core sports, but field sports. And I've, I've changed my views on that. And, and to be honest, I've really changed my views on that mostly because of athlete's performance, particularly when I did athlete's performance phase one or two last year. And from conversations I had with Owen McGuire, a very good friend of mine, Owen McGuire, um, Really, really good strength coach. Uh, plays football for St. Bridges GA, um, and he works at Core Performance in Dublin, and he also works for Exos. So uh, owns a cool guy. I think he's involved with the Carlow Senior Hurlers this year, and no doubt he's doing a savage job down there. 
Um, but Owen did his thesis on like kind of the different distributions of essentially not so much energy systems, but kind of the, the different like speed distributions that you that a hurler, an elite or senior county, inter county hurler and footballer would do between in a game. So how how much ground do they cover at full speed versus jogging versus walking, etc., etc. But what he found was very interesting is he found that a lot of them get up to top end speeds very very quickly. And if you think about it too, in a field game when we speak about acceleration, we're usually talking about track athletes. You know they're down really low on the blocks and they have to accelerate and they can and some of those top class athletes can accelerate anywhere up to 25 30 meters before they start hitting get you know transition into that absolute speed type running mechanics but with field uh, athletes like a county hurler footballer one they're nowhere near as strong as as a as a world-class track athlete so they can't accelerate out the blocks um like they can not that we accelerate out the blocks but they wouldn't have the same strength and second of all in a field sport you're standing pretty upright so you're not technically you know while you are obviously you you are accelerating for those first few initial steps you're not in that really aggressive horizontal angle so you actually get up into an upright running posture very very quickly and you need to be able to actually one you know have pretty decent technique of that and then if you do get up to a speed you have to be able to control that speed so i do think it's very worthwhile testing and training at absolute speed nowadays particularly from a hamstring even hamstring uh, health um, type uh, status I have to say ever since I, I integrate tempo running and tempo running is essentially like just low intensity absolute speed running uh, and when we did more absolute speed stuff hamstring injuries really decreased I felt I felt that was one thing I, I did notice from tempo running too um, and just incorporate some absolute speed work but anyway so for a linear speed test I would do a 40 meter test I would break it into 10 meter segments um, and I, again I would only use an indoor weather facility with timing gates that's it if I can't get that I won't bother doing it I will you know you'll still get a good indication of someone's speed or just their general power or a lactic power output by looking at their jump profile okay and even just looking at their basic maximum relative strength capabilities it still give you some indication to their well maximum relative strength will give you an indication of someone's acceleration capabilities it'll just give you an indication okay it, it's not in grain stone but it will give you an indication someone who's really strong uh, um, with regards to their relative and maximum or absolute strength generally they're going to be pretty quick over the 0 to 5 0 to 10 meters etc if you do a jump profile and you see someone you know who's got savage vertical jump savage counter movement and a great elastic jump which you probably won't see ever if you're dealing with GA players but if you did see that that person would probably be very fast in a 40 meter if you, see, if you see someone who's like very, very good non-counter and counter but not great elastic, they're probably decent over acceleration, not great when they get to top end speed run. Um, and, and that might correlate in the weight room too, and that like they may they may be very strong in the squat or deadlift, but uh, so that would indicate maybe strong acceleration, but you, you know, the, the fact that they were very poor in that elastic type test, whether it be a depth drop from a box or a four jump test would give you maybe some indication. That's if you didn't get a chance to do a 40 meter linear speed test. But anyway, I would do a 40 meter linear speed test broken into 10 meter segments. And again, the reason you're breaking into 10 meter segments is essentially, you know, there's this thing called a running continuum. And the running continuum basically says, you know, that with each one of those sections of the 40 meter sprint, different strength qualities correlate to different sections of that 40 meter sprint. So like things like zero to 10 meters, what really correlates to zero to 10 meters is your maximum and relative strength capabilities. Um, from kind of 10 up to 30 meters now these are very broad guidelines kind of when we're saying like 0 to 10 and 10 to 30 again we're kind of really tapping into more the, the track and field world you know when you're talking about like field athletes again like hurlers getting footballers rugby players soccer players and even more so hurlers getting footballers soccer players because they, they wouldn't be as strong maybe as rugby players pretty like wingers and rubbies but uh like even like say just even myself if I was even to get into a three point start and accelerate out of that like I would be upright running pretty quickly because I don't I just don't have that strength to keep those low driving angles like like the like the like the um, Asafa Pels or Asafa is a, a beautiful man to come out of the blocks like really really good um, so like you know we just don't have the, the same strength and, and just neurological output as them guys have so we actually get up really quick very very soon so like whereas as I was saying earlier on, world class athletes can accelerate and keep accelerating. Like some people say they can keep accelerating out till 30, 35 meters. Whereas kind of most near mortals, kind of like the amateur GA player, you know, by the time he hits 10, 12, 15 meters, he's probably getting up into a pretty upright position already. So 
So just take the just take the the, the the distances that I'm giving to you kind of with a pinch of salt. So generally those said zero to ten is you know that's what the you know usually acceleration and what really correlates to zero to ten is your relative maximum strength. Kind of ten to twenty and even up to thirty. So we'll say ten to three meters is that kind of transition phase from acceleration into absolute speed and that acceleration or that transition phase you know what really correlates well to that is kind of like your explosive strength so your your ability just to you know your ability to 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 uh, create create force at a very fast rate so essentially like your rate of force development and then when you start getting on it on past 25 meters 30 meters that's when you really start tapping into your elastic reactive strength capabilities now what really trains things like zero to ten meters is just again maximum strength training um, and things like non-counter movement, uh, jumps, hops, bounds, and medicine ball throws, uh, as well as kind of static Olympic lifts, you know, Olympic lifts like from the blocks or from a dead hang, and things that really don't have any momentum into them. When you start getting into more kind of that zero to t or that sort of 10 up to 20 up to 30 meters, that more explosive strength. So again, explosive strength really correlates that kind of 10 to 10 to 20 and 10 up to even 30 meters. Uh, you're you're thinking more things that have a counter movement in them. So things you know like a counter movement jump, um, jump, hop, maybe even a bound. Bounds are more so more so correlate to acceleration because of their horizontal nature. When you start kind of getting into that transition phase and particularly into absolute speed mechanics, you're going to do a lot more jumps and hops because they've got more vertical disposition to them. Uh, acceleration is more horizontal. Absolute speed being more vertical. But anyway, so from that ten to twenty. Or from that 10 to 30, you know, you're looking at things like more your explosive strength, your rate of force development, things like Olympic lifts, kind of true Olympic lifts, if you use those in your paradigm, if not, just more explosive uh, jumps, hops, and medicine ball throws. Uh, and then when you start getting into more of that sort of 25 meter plus, 30 meter plus, you're looking at your elastic reactive strength capabilities. What really correlates to that is your maximum strength and elastic reactive strength capabilities. Um, so that's where your true plyometrics come in. You know, like you're just your your you know your continuous hurdle jumps, your continuous hurdle hops, your kind of elastic reactive medicine ball throws. So that's where you might do a double contact and throw the medicine ball, or drop step off a little box and throw a medicine ball, things of that nature. Uh, but anyway, so I'm getting off topic here again. Uh, so for linear speed, yeah, a 40 meter um, linear speed test broken into 10 meter segments, indoor all weather facility, and you can give anywhere from three to six efforts. Why three to six efforts? Because you might get them to push three times off their left leg, three times off their right leg. You might. Um, normative data, not not engraved in stone, kind of just very, very vague guidelines I have here. And actually these are only 10 to 20 meter. I don't even have 30, 40 meter guidelines for GA pairs. So I've only done some 10 to 20 meters. So for an 80 to 90 kg male, what will be average for 10 meters is 1.9, fast is 1.8, very fast is 1.7, and elite will be 1.6 and below. Now in these slides, actually, I have I have these point second quicker because actually I didn't transfer these were actually yards, not meters, so I had to notch up one second here. So I had to change those before I put them up for you guys. 20 meters then was just an extra second so it was 2.9 was average 2.8 was fast very fast 2.7 and elite would be 2.6 and below um, males then from 90 to 100 kg uh, 10 meters fast was 2.9 or sorry average was 2.9 fast was 2.8 very fast 2.6 and elite was 2.7 and below and then 20 meters was just add on an extra second so 2.9 to 2.8 2.7 2.6 you'll see those in the slides uh, sorry, sorry. Let me see. What did I say there? Sorry, average was three seconds. Sorry, because I'm looking at my old slides here. So for twenty meters, for a ninety to ninety to. Sorry, I'm, I'm I, I've this is. I'm gonna say that again now. So for males from ninety to hundred kg. I'm always fucking these things up. <laughs> Ten meters average is two seconds. Excuse me, two seconds. Again, these slides I need to redo them because. I took times that were off yards and not meters, so I have them a tenth of a second too too fast. So for 10 meters, from a male, 90 to 100 kg, 10 meters, average is two seconds. Very fast would be one, or sorry, fast is 1.9, very fast 1.8, and elite would be 1.7 and below. And then just add on a second then for 20 meters. So average would be three seconds, fast would be 2.9, very fast would be 2.8, and elite would be 2.7 and below. Now by elite, like you're talking about guys again playing a sort of a field sport. Uh, females there, 
60 kg and below for the females you're looking at about 10 meters average 1.9 fast 1.8 very fast 1.7 elite 1.6 and below and then 20 meters add on a second so you're looking at 2.9 2.8 2.7 2.6 females from 60 to 80 meters sorry females from 60 to 80 kg in weight 10 meters you're looking at average uh, two seconds, so this is 10 meters, average two seconds, fast 1.9, very fast 1.8, elite 1.7 below, and then add on a second when it gets 20 meters. So we're here, we're three seconds, 2.9, 2.8, and 2.7 and below. So actually, I'm going to change those before I stick them up. I'll do that after I finish this podcast. Multi-directional speed then, I just do a 510 fight test, same same protocols again, you're... you're you're going to give, uh, or you want an indoor or weather facility and timing gates, ideally. Uh, you may go both ways, so they have to turn both ways. So they may go three ways where they cut one way and three ways where they cut the other way. Multi-directional speed, so, like, what like what strength qualities correlate with multi-directional speed? And the simple truth is everything does. You know, starting strength does, explosive strength does, elastic uh, reactive strength does, and eccentric strength qualities. So you're actually getting a look at, so if you have someone who is, that's why linear speed, development and multi-directional speed development are at the very peak of the athletic development hierarchy because linear uh, speed development and multi-directional speed development are supported by all the strength qualities and uh, so you know that's and again acceleration is really supported by maximum and explosive strength capabilities absolute speed is really supported by maximum and, uh, and elastic reactive strength capabilities and multi-directional speed is a combination of all those qualities because of because of the need to decelerate and cut and then you know you have to plant your foot and then you have inertia to overcome and so it's all of those qualities essentially so you actually see here on the slide that if you have someone who's got like a very good uh, linear speed test but has a poor 510 5 test or actually excuse me if you have someone who's very fast over 10 to 20 meters but they're not that fast over 20 to 40 meters and, and also their multi-directional speed isn't great, you may be looking at elastic uh, elastic reactive strength qualities and maybe even eccentric strength qualities in that person that may be holding them back with their multi-directional speed. If you have someone though who's just generally, who's a poor linear test altogether, you, you know, don't even worry about things like, you know, their elastic reactive capability initially, they're probably just too weak. So you want to be looking at things like, you know, their maximum strength or explosive strength qualities first and then kind of maybe more so worry about their elastic reactive strength capabilities and, and eccentric strength qualities there maybe after that. So I hope that made some sense. Uh, after multi-directional, then we're looking at our jump profile. So with jump profile, we want to look at our starting strength capabilities, our explosive strength capabilities, and then also our elastic reactive strength capabilities. Now you can use vertical or horizontal jumps for this. I personally use the vertical jump. You know, some people could could make an argument for the horizontal because of its more carryover to acceleration, but you're still going to get a good indication either way. So with vertical, uh, so with vertical jumps, I do a non-counter vertical jump to look at starting strength, and a counter vertical jump to look at explosive strength. Now I suppose Franz Bosch and and, and uh, Nick Winkman have kind of really thrown a, a spanner in the works with this. They're kind of saying, you know, does it, you know, do these three different tests really show what we think we're showing? Don't really know. It, it really, uh, I'll get into that in a second. But anyway, non-counter, you're just kind of starting in this non-counter position. There's no momentum, nothing in it. You don't dip. You start kind of in essentially a quarter squat position, hands are back, and you perform your test. And now whether you're doing this in the old-fashioned way, the tape on the wall and the chalk in hand, or if you're lucky enough to have a, a jump mat, just use the jump mat then. Um, Again, non-counter, kind of looking more at that starting strength capabilities, your ability to overcome inertia. The counter move vertical jump. Now, that's when that's your that's your more traditional vertical jump where you're doing your kind of uh, you have momentum going into it. You're doing a rapid dip and then you're jumping up. You really should be able to jump higher with a counter movement jump because you're allowing yourself to have that eccentric momentum and you're allowing yourself to use those elastic um, reactive qualities of the muscle. You know, the series of elastic components and parallel elastic components and whatnot. So you really should be able to jump higher on a on a counter movement jump versus a non counter. So some norms there for that for males. This is these are these are counter movement vertical jumps now. So for males again, this is kind of more GA population people. Anything below twenty inches now these are in inches. So if you want to convert them to centimeters, you can. Anything below twenty inches is poor. Fair is 20, 24 inches. You'll see a lot in between those ranges. 25, 29 is good, and then anything over thirty is very good. 30, 35 very good. Anything over thirty five inches is is excellent. You know, and then we start getting things like forty inches and more. That's that's the NBA guys. Generally with the non counter vertical jump. You don't want to see any more of a drop off of about 18 to 20 percent. That's kind of what I've seen, and I kind of got that figure from Alvar Meal. Females looking at uh, no less than 16 percent. Again, these are counter counter moving vertical jumps. The 16 to 20 inches is fair. 
Uh, good to very good is like 20, 25 inches. I think over 25, or, yeah, and I think over 25 inches then will be, you know, very good for the females. And again, with their non-counter vertical, moving vertical jumps, we don't want to see any more of a drop off than about 9 to 11%. And again, I got that figure from Al Vermeil. When we look at things like elastic reactive strength, there's a few things we can do to measure elastic reactive strength. The first thing I want to talk about is the reactive strength index. And essentially, the reactive strength index is when you perform a, a depth jump off a box. Now, in most research, it's usually conducted off a 30 centimeter box. Um, and the reactive strength index is calculated by the ground contact time divided by the box height, or it is uh, calculated by the flight time divided by the ground contact time. Um, now, in the literature, what is considered to be a fast ground contact time is anything um, that is below 0.25 milliseconds. So if uh, the ground contact time is 0.25 milliseconds and below, that is considered to be a fast stretch shortening cycle. Anything over that is considered to be a slow stretch shortening cycle. Now, the one thing I will say is that I haven't seen body weight taken into the equation of the reactive strength index um, and because you know if you, if you think about it let's just say for instance if you have a 110 kg male versus a hundred versus an 80 kg male obviously the 110 kg male is going to have a longer ground contact time but uh, his longer ground contact time uh, may be relatively quicker uh, you know relative to his body weight it may be faster ground contact time relative to his body weight than the 80 kg male so that's just one thing that i would um have uh, in terms of sort of my kind of questioning towards the reactive strength index. So with regards to kind of objective data out there on the elastic react on elastic reactive strength, particularly when it comes to um, the reactive strength index, there isn't actually a lot of objective no uh, data out there or normative data, but um, definitely. The, re the reactive strength index is definitely a, a objective way to monitor and measure um, an athlete's elastic reactive strength um, development. Um, now, I, from Alvar Meal, he got this from Don Chu. Don Chu said that if a male can go off an 18 to 20 inch box, um, now I have to actually check out what that is in centimeters, but if a male can go off a 20 to uh, 18 to 20 inch uh, box keep their ground contact time um, 0.25 milliseconds or below and also get in with 90% of their best counter movement vertical jump that's a very um, that's an athlete with great elastic reactive capabilities with the females it was off a 12 to uh, 16 inch box I think it was between 12 and 16 inches and um, let me just check that uh, just give me one second now For the females, it was a tw actually 12 to 14 inch box that I have down here, uh, and again it was the same. If their ground contact time was 0.25 milliseconds or below, and the female could also get with a 90% of their best counter movement vertical jump, that female was considered to have very good elastic reactive strength capability. So again, with the elastic or, or with the relative strength index, it's a depth jump. Um, Usually in most research it's from a 30 centimeter box. It's calculated by dividing the box height by the ground contact time or the flight time by the ground contact time. Now also in the book Strength and Conditioning, Biological Principles and Practical Applications, uh, they say in this that a common progression with regards to the reactive strength index is to employ a 30, 45, 60 and 75 uh, centimeter box. Uh, so that would be 12, 18, 24, 30 inch um, meter boxes and um, so you could use those to, to perform the, uh, the, the the depth jumps um, now if you were doing that in the training in depth drop in, in you know doing depth jumps in your training to increase our uh, elastic reactive strength capabilities you would want to make sure that the athletes ground contact time was staying at, at the very least the same as the box height increases because if the ground contact time started to increase significantly that would mean that the box height was was too much it was too much of demand on the athlete um, so the athlete was struggling then to to rapidly go from that eccentric to concentric phase they were spending too long on the ground that, that amortization phase was was too long 
Uh, question really is what is elastic reactive strength? Uh, the definition actually of elastic reactive strength is the capability of the new muscle system to rapidly go from an eccentric to concentric attraction, mainly utilizing the uh, elastic components of our connective tissues. So the, re the reactive strength index is, is definitely an, an objective way to measure and monitor someone's uh, elastic reactive strength development but with regards to normative data out there I haven't seen much with it and also I, I'd like to take the question of body weight into consideration because surely uh, there is a relative ground contact time to body weight so what's a fast ground contact time for one individual will be different to another individual uh, depending, depending on their body weight so again using an example of a 110 kg male versus an 80 kg male surely the 100 and let's, let's just say box height is the same in this instance uh, you know, obviously the 110 kg male is going to have a longer ground contact time, but maybe relative to his body weight, it's it's just as fast, or if not faster, than the 80 kg male. That's kind of what I'm what I'm trying to get at. The other way to look at uh, elastic reactive uh, elastic reactive strength objectively is to use the the four jump test on a on a just jump mat. Uh, that will give you a look at flight time, ground contact time, and the average height jumped over. Your, your four jumps and the just jump is really really handy it's, it's 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 a really great tool because just from a logistics standpoint you know you can you can look at a lot for very uh, in a very short space of time so with the just jump mat you can look at starting strength by doing non-counter moving vertical jumps you can look at explosive strength by doing counter moving vertical jumps and then you can look at the you can look at elastic reactive strength by uh, utilizing the the four jump test on the just jump so it's a really great piece of a equipment um, and again, like the criteria will be pretty similar. You know, ground, you know, the ground contact time over the four jumps. We still want to see that sort of uh, ground contact time to be no more than uh, you know 0.25 milliseconds. But again, I would say let's let's take body weight into consideration. Um, and also, but you'd still like to see the person get within about 85 to 90 percent of their best counter moving vertical jump. Um, over the four jumps so if we average out those four jumps so if someone's best you know counter moving vertical jump is 30 inches we would like to see them get within you know 90 percent of their best counter moving vertical jump over the, the the four jumps if we were to average out the four jumps on the on the just jump mat um just final thing there or maybe this is the final thing if not i'll just edit another piece but you know with regards to elastic reactive strength capabilities when we see athletes who have poor elastic reactive strength they're the type of athletes that kind of soak into the ground when they run particularly when they're doing type of the the type of absolute speed or max velocity type stuff there are people who just spend too long on the ground there's two things going on there one their maximum relative strength capabilities um mightn't be sufficient enough or two, they have poor elastic reactive strength capabilities, or it could be a combination really of both. Uh, you need to be extremely strong uh, to 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 you know to be to optimize your, your max velocity to optimize absolute speed because essentially in absolute speed what you're doing is your neuromuscular system uh, essentially needs to be strong enough to transfer or to uh, distribute the forces of uh, the the top of, of max velocity out into the elastic components of your connective tissue so like the serious and parallel elastic components in your muscle tissue and out and then to your tendons um, now if you're not strong enough what can happen is then you start to disperse a lot of that force through your actual uh, muscle tissue and that's when a thing like a you know a quad strain a quad tear a hamstring strain a hamstring tear a calf strain a calf tear can can actually occur and, and that's when injury can occur um, so if you do see athletes who, for some reason, seem to spend too long, too long on the ground when they're performing things like absolute speed or, or max velocity type running, it can be either uh, relative maximum strength uh, deficiency, it can be elastic reactive strength uh, is not up to sufficient levels, or it could be both max, relative maximum strength and elastic reactive strength capabilities are not up to sufficient levels to help support absolute speed capabilities or max velocity capabilities so like someone like me for instance i probably spend too much time on the ground and i kind of soak into the ground if you will and again we don't want to soak into the ground we don't want to disperse those forces mainly into the muscle tissue we want our new muscle system to be strong enough to almost isometrically disperse th those forces out into the elastic components of our connective tissue so again the series and parallel elastic components in the muscle tissue and out then into our tendons um because really what, what a weak person is doing or someone with poor elastic reactive strength capabilities is they're spending more time on the ground to be able to produce more force but our our jobs as physical preparation coaches or strength and conditioning coaches or whatever title you you really want to give it 
is to now and then this would be injury reduction injury reduction aside because obviously that's one of our main roles our main role is to increase our athletes motor potential is to increase our athletes capability to produce the most amount of force in the least amount of time and then going back to the definition of elastic reactive strength it is to produce the most amount of force in the least amount of time mainly utilizing the elastic components of our connective tissues so again with regards to objective ways to uh, first of all objective markers of elastic reactive strength i actually haven't seen any objective markers like with regards to normative data but definitely there's objective ways to monitor and measure elastic reactive strength capabilities and that is with the reactive strength index so again reactive strength index is a depth jump um in the research generally performed off a 30 centimeter uh, box in most research but again as i said in the book the uh um, just turning my head here away from the from the speaker in the strength conditioning biological principles and practical uh, applications you know they they spoke about you can actually increase the box height as well it's you, know, you can do from higher box heights um too but in most research you'll see it done from 30 centimeters um but again sorry so just to go back there how to calculate the reaction index it's a depth jump um, and it, you can do two ways you can divide the box height by the ground contact time or the flight time by the ground contact time what is considered a good score on that is when the ground contact is 2.5 milliseconds or below and if you can get within 90% of your best counter movement vertical jump um, and you know as I said earlier on Don Chu and I got this through Alvin Mill he said an 18 20 inch box an 18 20 20 inch depth jump for a male who can keep the ground contact time below 0.25 milliseconds and again, with ninety percent of the best counter movement jump was 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 seen to be excellent. Was seen to be an excellent, excellent score. Um, but again, my question is body weight. Taking body weight into consideration for the females with Don Chu, it was from a twelve to fourteen inch box, and it was the same. It was the same with the males with regards to um ninety percent. Uh, if they can get within ninety percent of their best counter movement vertical jump, and if their ground contact time stayed below 0.25 milliseconds, the other test, then, as I said, was the four four uh, four jump test and the just jump, giving you a look at flight time, ground contact time and the average height jumped over your four jumps. And again, that, that, that can give you a comparison, because really what you're trying to get a comparison of there is someone's elastic reactor strength um, um, in comparison to their explosive strength capabilities. And again, it was the same criteria. If the person can get within 90% of their best counter move vertical jump, if you average out the four jumps on the just jump, on the four jump test and the just jump, and if the ground contact time uh, stay below, stayed at uh, 0.25 milliseconds or below, that was considered to be an excellent score, because again, 0.25 milliseconds and below is considered to be a fast stress shortening cycle anything over that is considered to be a slower stress shortening cycle but once again i'll say body weight is something that i'd like to see taken into consideration i think that has to be surely ground contact time has to be relative to someone's body weight but anyway i think i've uh, fairly well gone into that uh, that section here on elastic reaction strength capabilities i hope i made some sense and uh, if you have any questions you guys can always just ask me um on the website or on the facebook page so uh, we'll move into our next topic now just one thing that I want to add to this section on elastic reactive strength is that I want to discuss how to increase force output or force production in our athletes. Essentially, there's three main ways to increase force output in our athletes. The first is to produce the same amount of force in less time. The second is to produce more force in the same amount of time. And then the third would be a combination of the first two, okay, to produce, the mo mo to produce more force in less time which would be a win-win situation so as i said earlier injury reduction aside our main role as physical preparation coaches is to uh, increase our athletes motor potential and uh, thus increase our athletes force output capabilities because if we can get our athletes uh, force output capabilities to increase so if we can get our athletes to produce more force um, they then can can execute their sport specific skills at higher um, at higher force output capabilities. So if they can uh, if the, if they can again execute that sport specific skill at higher higher force output capabilities, therefore they can reach higher levels of sports mastery as long as their technical and technical abilities are also developing and, and increasing. So again, to increase force output capabilities we can produce the same amount of force in less time we can produce more force in the same amount of time or we can uh, we can uh, produce more force in less time which would be a win-win situation okay that would be the optimal and just again relating back to elastic reactive strength and this also goes for explosive strength so with explosive and elastic reactive strength 
essentially what we're trying to do is produce the most amount of force in the least amount of time um, with elastic reactor strength capabilities we're trying to produce the most amount of force in the least amount of time mainly utilizing the elastic uh, components of our connective tissue so as I've said in the previous uh, caption uh, that's mainly utilizing the serious and parallel elastic components of your muscle tissue and then the elastic properties of your tendons so that was just something I wanted to add as well with regards to increasing force production in your athletes. So just to summarize, our main roles as physical preparation coaches, injury reduction aside, is to get our athletes to produce the most amount of force in the least amount of time, which will in turn help our athletes to reach higher levels of sports mastery. So that was just again something that I wanted to add. I knew there was something that I want. I was going to add in here or edit in uh, on this section on elastic reactor strength and just in this podcast in general. But anyway, and uh, so now just going back into explosive strength indicators. So with explosive strength indicators, we can use the non-counter and counter-movement jump jumps to look at explosive strength, and they are speed strength speed strength indicators. A strength speed indicator of explosive strength is just your Olympic lift variations. Um, so power cleans, power snatches, hang cleans, hang snatches, things like that. So with regards to norms on that, these are one RM norms now. So for this, for the Olympic lifts and for any maximum strength lifts, I'm talking about one RMs. I much prefer one RMs. I don't know why people do three or five RMs and think that they're safer. I don't know why anyone thinks a three RM is safer. Like it's going to be barely lighter and you get two more repetitions anyway. The thing with RM testing is. It shouldn't get sloppy. If it's getting really sloppy, you as a coach are doing a bad job of, of managing the testing protocol. I just want to get these norms up here that I have for Olympic lifting. So for a power clean, for a, again, average, well, not average, but for just to say a field-type player, uh, Gaelic football player, hurler, a lot of them won't really, so there's a lot of people out there that train them that probably don't Olympic lift them because a lot of them are movement messes. But, you know, even rugby player depending on the position but anyway I, I have my, my GA guys a lot of them do hang cleans and uh, hang snatches but for a power clean you're kind of looking at anywhere from about you know 1.25 to 1.5 times body weight I just want to pull up another table here holy shit 40 minutes into this podcast this is only meant to be 20 minutes uh, let me just pull up this powerpoint now I have a table in this one could pause this but I'm not gonna pause this and make the, the weight for you guys less <laughs> here we go here yeah so a power clean in this table I have actually body body weight to one and a half times body weight uh, these are for males now power snatch 80.8 times to body weight a hang power clean is body weight to 1.25 times body weight and yeah and uh, hang power snatch is 0.7 to 0.9 times body weight for females power clean body weight to 1, 1.25 times body weight power snatch 0.7 to 0.9 times body weight uh, hang power clean 0.8 to 1 times body weight and then hang power snatch 6.6 to 0.8 times body weight and therefore you know kind of female and male field athletes so again nothing ridiculous you know, I've spoken to Wayne Healy before I remember he saying that body weight for a GA player for what for one he thought was actually pretty good and Wayne is a fairly decent Olympic lifter himself so you know I would take his word over mine and if that's what he says if he agreed with me I, I was happy enough with that then maximum strength testing um, so again we've gone from body fat percentage to our linear speed test to our multi-direction speed test to our jump profile which is non-counter First, a uh, uh, non-counter counter and elastic so with the non-counter counter and elastic jumps I give three attempts I'm, I, and I score their best one some coaches will give three attempts and if their third attempt was their best they may give them a fourth and a fifth and if they keep getting better they keep going but if you're under time restrictions just do three tests and mark their best score okay uh, maximum strength the, the tests I personally use are a trap bar 1RM a bench press 1RM and a chin up 2RM that's it uh, why a 2RM and the chin up I actually really don't know I just I, something I always done was a 2RM chin up test and I just I always do it now actually when I'm in a team situation again and I have logistics against me I will just do a trap bar 1RM and a bench 1RM and I'll just do chin up and wrap as many reps as possible just to get some type of pulling test in there it's not true maximum strength test 
but I still like to get some type of pulling test in there, so you could do that. Trap bar. That's the main lift I use with GA players because it's just it's just a very from a coaching perspective it's not that coach intensive it's an easy lift to 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 teach um and it's it's easy to load it's an, you know it's a nice easy bilateral lift to get strong to get strong with now if you want to squat your guys back squatting there box squatting whatever's in your coaching paradigm you know you can put that in as your lower body strength test now again i all say this for lower body strength you're looking at your squat variations for kind of more lower and total body strength you know, deadlifting is really more of a total body exercise because it incorporates the back and the grip and whatnot. Now, not to say that squatting is not a total body lift, of course. Squatting is a total body exercise. For benching is a total body exercise, you know, really, when you break it down to it. Um, yeah, if you look, talk to any of the top powerlifters in the world. But you, yeah, I think you guys get what I'm saying. That, you know, with, with the deadlifting, it's incorporating more of the grip and the back. So, you know, it's a really lower and total body sort of strength lift. But it's a 1RM, a a bench press 1RM as well, and chin-up 2RM. Now, with any RM test, and this goes for Olympic lifts as well, I do a 5-3-1 system. So, we'll do like five reps. You know, we'll, we'll hit a few warm sets. We might hit one to two, two sets of five, one to two sets of three. Generally, when we get to about 80% of where our max is, we start hitting singles. So, single at 80%, single at 85%, single at 90%, single at 95%. And then single at 102, you know, 100% plus, obviously, you know. And uh, one thing I will say is that when you're doing testing, okay, and in your previous test, you hit like, I don't know, just say in the bench press, you hit 100 kg. And then you're there warming up and you hit your last single at, at 90, we'll say, or something like that. You know, you do a single at 90 and rack it in. Don't put 100 kg back on the bar. Go for 102 and try and beat your last score. I see people do that all the time. I'm like, why do you want to do what you did last time? The whole idea is that you know you got stronger. It's just I see some people do that because you, you know most people like most people will lift more. It's just that they do that 100 kg. They're going to fatigue themselves into their actual heavier set. So that was just something. Make sure to you're giving foot the when you start hitting those singles above 80 percent. When you start getting towards those heavier sets, that's when you need to open up those rest periods to at the very minimum three, but try and get four and five minutes. Like people all say to me, on oh, team sentences we can't rest that long. I just put the, I just put the teams into two big long lines so that by the time their ter- their turn comes around, they've probably got about that four to five minutes of rest in already. Um, and I always tell the guys on testing day, listen, testing day is born. It needs to be so I need to get a true indication of where these qualities are at. So take your rest. So for me, I use trap bar one RM, bench press one RM, and chin up two RM. And then I'll give you the norms here. I actually have norms here also for for squatting too. So for the back squat for males. I look for if if so if I was to use back squat, uh, one at least one and a half times body weight to two times body weight, and the closer we can get to two times, the more optimal it is. For a front squat, body weight to about one and a half times body weight. Trap bar deadlift two to two and a half times body weight. Bench press body weight to one and a half times body weight. Chin up uh, for two repetitions. I look for your body weight plus thirty to forty percent of additional load. Thirty four percent of your body weight in additional load. For females, with a back squat for females, about 1.25 to 1.5 times their body weight. For a trap bar deadlift, 1.5 to 2 times the female's body weight. And for a bench press, 0.8 to 1 times body weight. Uh, with regards to strength endurance, I've no normal of data in strength endurance for females, only for males. I've never actually done any strength. And I don't, I don't do any strength endurance tests with experienced lifters. I just do, I'll just, I'll just do the, the body fat, linear, multi-directional speed tests. Jump profile, Olympic lift, if they Olympic lift, if they don't, we'll just skip that and go straight to the strength, maximum strength tests, and then into our work capacity test, the yo-yo test. I don't do any speed or strength endurance tests. Some coaches do, some coaches don't. The only time I do that is with a beginner, if the manager's like, listen, I want him to have some accountable, something to be accountable for for the next time he tests. Uh, but anyway, I have some norms here as well. Now, for push-ups, first thing, did they even pass trunk stability push-up in the FMS? Second thing, real push-ups. Like when I hear people going, I can do seventy push-ups. I'm like you can't, you can't. Don't you're talking shite. Like you can't do seventy push-ups. You know, seventy proper push-ups where you go all the way down, lock your elbows out at the very top. Your ass isn't sagging down. You're not hanging on for dear life off the ligaments off your spine. Your head isn't sagging down. And like when you actually go down, your arms are in that forty-five degree relationship to your body. You're keeping some external torque to your arms. No one can do seventy push-ups like that. No one that I know. Anyway, there might be someone out there that can do it. But I mean 70 proper ass push-ups. So the norms I have here is uh, 20 and lower is poor. If you can't do 20 proper push-ups, you know, I would question your, you know, your manhood. You, you need to get some testosterone therapy <laughs> if that's the case. So tw- tw- 20, to, 20 to 30 push-ups, anything below 20, poor. 30 
to 40 would be average 40 to 45 is good 45 to 50 and I'm talking proper push-ups here is very good Anything above 50 push-ups 50 proper push-ups uh, without failure this isn't in a minute now these are just as many as you can I don't do the one minute things I always find I get very sloppy this is just do as many as you can with good technique uh, so you can do 50 with really good technique that's very good chin-ups if you can't do five chin-ups again i would question your manhood you, again definitely need to get t some testosterone therapy if that's the case <laughs> uh you see those est estrogenic guys just hanging off the bars uh but i have here five to eight is poor and below five not great average would be eight to twelve twelve to fifteen is good 16 to 20 very good and 20 above is excellent now obviously body weight is a factor in that you know if you have a guy who's 300 pounds like a lineman in, in like football or a very heavy prop so yeah that does be has to be taken into consideration i know i know so don't be sending me hate mail and hey what about the fat guy in the front row inverted row um inverted row not really any great sort of data and one thing i have heard from a few coaches is they look for about one third uh, so for in, they look for about one third of the, the push up total so if you could do something like 45 push ups can you get at least 15 inverted rows so some, some people say you know about a third to a half the volume of your push ups in inverted rows so that's you know that's probably a decent enough indicator um, last thing then is just aerobic capacity or you know work capacity aerobic capacity I personally always use the yo-yo intermittent recovery test I use level 2 I know Barry Sullen, he, he Barry says I think he likes to use level 1 with more kind of club players and he'll use level 2 with more of the county guys I just like to use level 2 always did uh, again it doesn't matter once you, once you use the same one that you used the first time it's going to make the test legitimate uh, now my norms for that are if you do not get over at least 1200 meters on a yo-yo intermittent recovery test level 2 you're not fit enough for an alactic rowing sport I think 1200 meters to me is the cut off point the very 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 limit for that will be 1000 meters uh, but I like to see all my players above 1200 and uh, I just pick up my where are my norms on that now I actually have them here so for a yo-yo intermittent recovery test level 2 720 meters and below poor uh, 720 to 1000 meters fair uh, and that's actually been very generous in that slide I would still say that's shit but anyway uh, good is a thousand to 1200 that would be where I that'd be my like my absolute cutoff point like limit um, so I'm probably need to change these slides because um, 700 to 1000 is not good <laughs> but a thousand to 1200 would be kind of that's probably more fair to be honest uh, still not great very good though is about 1200 uh, meters to 1500 if you're getting people towards 1500 they're fairly fit anyone over 1500 meters in that is very fit i've had a few guys almost hit 2000 meters in that like if you're hitting over 2000 meters in a level two like you are you're a machine like that's that's beast material right there um other tests that you can potentially do I always hear people do is to talk about the spider test, essentially the one fifty meter shuttle run where you know you three seconds on, three seconds off, six times. Listen, that that will still give you a good indication of someone's uh, aerobic uh, capacity. I mean, anything that's lasted six minutes has a huge aerobic component to it. Yes, you're going to build up a lot of lactate. Yes, the, there's a huge glyc uh, there's a huge um, glycolytic component to that. Um, but again the fact that it lasts for 6 total minutes of time duration you're doing 3 minutes of very intense work there's a huge aerobic component to it as well so each each successive repetition that's going to have more contribution from the aerobic system so it is going to give you a good indication of someone's aerobic capacity uh, another little test for a lactic aerobic sports is a thing called uh, a phosphate decrinkment test I always pronounce that word wrong decrinkment is that right but essentially it's 10 sprints done over 30 metres with a 30 second break in between and essentially you're, I think as far as I can remember, you you record the very the fast the fastest time. Uh, well, you record all the times, but you divide the fastest by the slowest time, and you get some sort of equation out. And obviously, what you're trying to do is to I think I think it's the fastest and, and the slowest time, or is it the very first rep to the very last rep? Well, obviously, the first and last generally will be the fastest and the slowest. And you're coming up with some equation, and, and obviously, then you're trying to better the equation uh, when you retest. Obviously, the whole idea of that is to make sure your power output or the, the drop off of your phosphate is less the fitter you get 
Um, and once again, that's why it's so important to have a, a very strong aerobic system or very good aerobic development because the stronger your aerobic development, the faster you can recover your ATP and inactive system. So for me, I like to use uh, the uh, yo-yo test and I get my norms there again. So I'll just go through those again. On this slide, I have seven, anything below 720 is poor, fair 720 to 1000. And to be honest, I still think that's piss poor. Good, like good to fair is 1000 to, to, to 1200. Very good is 1200, 1500 meters. Anything above 1500 meters is, you know, excellent to you know, elite type stuff. With that shuttle run test, I have norms on that. So the spider test is known here in Ireland. Uh, poor will be below 700 meters on that. Average 700 to 725. Good will be 725 to um, 725. I need to change that. It's a misprint. 725 to 750. Very good. 750 to 775. If anyone can get over 775 on that, that is freak material. Like 750 is a solid score on that. That's when someone's hitting 125 meters in each repetition, which is solid going for a spider test or a 150 shuttle. Anything over 775 is. That's very, very good. I know one or two two lads who got that. Uh, a friend of mine, Stephen Bean, I think got 775. Senna Coughlin, another good friend of mine, two very fit blokes. Would have got seven seven five in that. You'll also see then in this slide. I I have uh, if I have a beginner and manners like I want the beginner to be tested. What testing will I do with them? Body fat, yes. Linear speed testing, yes. Multi direct speed testing, yes. Uh, start and strength, so non non counter movement, uh, non counter movement jumps, yes. Explosive strength, counter movement jumps, yes. Elastic strength, uh, like a four jump test. Yeah, probably won't do a depth drop with a beginner. A four jump test, maybe. It's a little less risky, I think. Strength endurance testing, like a chin-up push from vertical row. Yeah, again, won't do push-ups if he's a disaster in the FMS and the trunk speed push-up. And aerobic capacity test. Then, that I would do a beginner. With more of a quote-unquote advanced athlete or someone who knows what they're at. Body fat, yes. Linear speed, yes. Multi-directional, yes. Starting strength, non-counter movement jumps. For me, non-counter movement vertical jump, yes. Explosive strength. Counter movement vertical jump, yes. Elastic strength, four, four jump tests or depth drop into vertical jump, yes. Olympic lifting if they Olympic lift, yes. Olympic lift 1RM, that is, so power clean, power snatch, etc. for 1RM, build up to 1RM. Uh, maximum strength testing, trap bar deadlift, bench press, chin up 2RM, yes. Um, and then yo yo intermittent recovery test level 2. So that'll be for more people that'll lift. That's it. I hope that made some fucking sense. That went on a lot longer than I predicted. What is it? It's 10 to 9 here. It's still bright outside. It's still bright outside. I'm not screwing up any melatonin production. Um, that's essentially it. I know I rambled on there, but I hope that made sense. I actually need to change a few things in these slides. Uh, I'm actually going to... I'm actually. It's going to give me an excuse now to actually do these up before I put them in the show notes. But anyway, this podcast won't be up for about another 2-3 weeks, I suppose, by the time I do it. But I uh, hope that made sense, guys. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. And uh, that's it for today. Um, take care. I'll talk to you soon. And as I always say, stay strong. Oh, by the way, before I actually go, if you guys could do me a little quick favor and give me a review on iTunes, uh, just from doing the Irish Sport Coach Institute podcast, I realized I've actually never asked anyone to give me uh, reviews. Well, if anyone's actually after listening to 57 minutes of me talking about forms testing, I, I commend you can't be easy to listen to my voice for that long but anyway no, seriously if you can drop a, a, a review listen I know my podcast production is not great but listen it's a free podcast uh, the content I think is reasonably good I like to think um, I am going to get microphones and, and better production eventually down the line but as Gary Vaynerchuk would say content 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 so but anyway no, if you can leave me a, a review and um, yeah, that's basically it so I'll leave it there because I've been rambling there now for the last few minutes and uh I'm not going to say goodbye a third time. So, again, guys, thanks for being in. Thanks for supporting the podcast and downloading and listening and feedback and all that. So, again, take care. I'll talk to you soon and stay strong.